Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right. So I've asked Jen to join me today as we open our Advent series. It was really funny. Oh. I was just going to say, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Anyway. It was really funny during COVID, you know, when Brett was sending his soulful interruptions. I know many people really, um, they meant a lot to them. But Jen and I would often go for a walk and go, I reckon we should make something called soulful disruptions because we were always talking about the way God was disrupting our lives and our understanding of him. So maybe one day we'll release a podcast called Soulful Disruptions to balance out Bretto's really encouraging soulful interruptions. Um, but we just thought today that um, we would bring a bit of, I guess, the conversation we have regularly um, as we launch this series, Weary World Rejoices. So I um, wanted to ask you, Jen, I guess this series came out of a bit of a soulful disruption one morning in church where we were, I think it was right at the end of the service, and I remember you getting up and sharing that God, you couldn't get this Christmas carol out of your spirit and that God was speaking to you through it. Um, do you remember that morning and, and what was stirring in you? Um, I think, you know, since we haven't been able to sing due to the restrictions that as a church we've decided to honour, um, during our worship time, my worship is often in prayer. It's my act of worship and that morning I was praying for uh, the Syria in the midst of um, the devastation that they've walked through and then dealing with COVID on top of that. I have some dear friends in Syria as well and I just felt this touch from the Holy Spirit that just talked about this song, A Weary World Rejoicing, and the tension that, um, you know, my friends hold in the midst of weariness and rejoicing. But for me, this song, when I looked into it, I was so excited when I got home. I was like, this song has so much meaning and, and the gospel message in it is amazing. And, you know, it says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I'm like, that line in and of itself is just so powerful you know, that our souls often get disrupted. Our souls often find, lose their way when we're weary. And so I feel like this word that the Lord has given this in this song is, a, is so timely. And I believe it's a word of encouragement for us. And I'm praying that it will give us a great sense of strength. Mm. So fast forward from that Sunday and we're sitting around as a team kind of going like what's God stirring for Christmas and for our Advent series and coming up with these great ideas. In fact, I think Greg already had the artwork done for this other fabulous idea. And then Jen kind of mentions this line or this word again and she says, weary world rejoices. And I think, I don't know, it's probably November sometime. And it's like there was a collective sigh, I think, around the group where we all went, yeah, that." feels like exactly where we're at in the world right now and it feels like a Christmas message I can get behind because personally I was like I don't even think I've got the energy for Christmas you know like all the frivolity and oh, I'm so weary and particularly back a month ago so yeah so we really felt that that had been the way that God's spirit had prepared us for this time 
So, of course, that line, weary world rejoicing, it's kind of, I don't know when you hear it, but I'm like, can you be weary and rejoicing? I mean, they seem almost like opposite or contradictory ideas. I don't know what you think about. You know, weary means to grow tired or bored with something, and rejoice means to feel or show joy or great delight. So can you be both bored and delighting? Can you be both tired and joyful? What do you think? You know, it's, it's a paradox. Two seemingly opposite and contradictory ideas that exist simultaneously. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought God himself is paradoxical. You know, he is both one and three. Jesus is both human and divine. You know, Jesus' teaching is full of paradox. He said things like, to die is to live, to give is to receive, to serve is to reign, to yield is to conquer. All these kind of contradictory ideas presented to us together. You know, Paul goes on in the word to speak about when I am weak, that's when I am strong. You know, I think wrestling with and making room for paradox in our spirituality is part of the process of coming to maturity as Christians and in our faith and as a church. It's the idea of moving past dualistic or either-or thinking to embrace fuller, more whole, both and understanding of life and who God is. Jung uh, understood paradox to be one of our most valued spiritual possessions and a fundamental part of growing in spiritual maturity. You know, I came across a quote earlier in this year that's really challenged me and God's really challenged me as I've done some training in spiritual direction and supervision this year. It's all about asking good questions and not necessarily having good answers for the person that you're with. And I love this quote. I want to beg you as much as I can to be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart. Don't we just want to solve things in our hearts? And try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. I just love that concept or that challenge of sitting with the questions, being patient as God responds to you with your questions. Now, I wanted to ask you a bit more about this, Jen, because I know that you've spent a lot of time ministering to and leading leaders of the persecuted church. And to me, this seems, weary world rejoicing, would be their lived daily experience and reality. Um, So I'm interested to know what you have learnt, I guess, from journeying with them about this idea of holding paradox, holding these ideas? So I, I was thinking about this and I thought probably the best way to do it is to get in contact with one of my friends who 
was she's a phenomenal leader uh, in the persecuted church, and she was leading uh, through ISIS, and so an incredible amount of suffering. Um, and I think, you know, being in the situation that God has me in, in this um, incredible gift that I have, God's given me to uh, minister to these people, there's a lot of challenges that come with that. And I think this is one of them. You know, how do you hold the tension between joy and suffering? And sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I have been in situations in war-torn countries where the joy of the Lord is sometimes more evident than I've experienced in my own life. These people, I would, I would come home feeling confused. And so I asked my beautiful friend if she would share her thoughts this morning. And I've never done this before, so let's hope it works, because she recorded a few messages and a few insights in this paradox. I have been experiencing the suffering with joy many times, and uh, especially when you uh, your suffering is for glorifying his name or for uh, for his uh, seek uh, of our Lord Jesus. Because if our uh, suffering be just because of our uh, desire or our lots and, and we want to like to live our life as we want, then then you I never experience joy during this time. But uh, this is uh, I understand how. Paul and Silas were, were able to singing and praise the Lord where they are present. In the beginning, I was not understanding from where they uh, bring this joy. But when I have been uh, suffering or persecuting for his uh, name, these times was right. I was in very difficult pain and was not an easy life under really a lot of pressure. But I feel there was a peace and a lot of joy in my in my heart. I don't know from where, but I understand it is the 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 joy of our Lord when he say when he said the uh, my joy is uh, your strength. Then I understand it and link it, and also when James said. Uh, consider it, it uh, pure jo uh, joy when you, uh, my brother and sister, whenever you faced troubles. So I said, how I can consider it? But I think jo James was again um, referring to the the troubles or the the temptations for our uh, faith and to be firm standing, firm in our our faith because this is. Uh, why we consider it a joy? Because we give you uh, produce the perseverance, and this will also strengthen our our faith. So this is was my experience with joy and suffering. It is uh, to the to the normal uh, person uh, or uh, uh, secular mind, or uh, it is not. Uh, uh, it's kind of uh, there is no meaning and uh, there is no link, but the one who are in the Lord and he understand the the uh, the the faith to be with the Lord then is everything uh, contracts uh, uh, and God he he really uh, give this joy when you are in suffering. So this is my my thoughts about it. 
Yeah, so, you know, I think that the tension of holding joy and suffering um, in the midst of some of the most horrific human, human rights violations, the interesting thing for me is I've heard this testimony time and time again. God is so good. He will never leave you. So for me, that is such an incredible encouragement because the joy they experienced is a spiritual gift, right? So the fruits of the Spirit, a love, joy. And I think in the persecuted church, they cultivate, they look for um, the activity of God in their everyday lives because of the suffering and brokenness, sadly, is just an everyday norm for them. You know, and so this gift of, of joy in the midst of their suffering doesn't take away the suffering. I've sat and wept and cried and asked questions of God. They're still human. They're not superheroes. <laughs> but they can exist. And that's when I was like, actually, this song, The Weary World Rejoices, is so power like powerful this paradox is a gift God's given us wherever we're at in our journey of, of our own sense of tiredness or weariness or suffering or wherever we're at. The promise of Jesus, the promise of God is that he will never leave you. He loves you. He will never forsake you, even in the midst of some of the most challenging situations that sadly a lot of people walk through. Um, I think the learning for me in this, it's been difficult. You can ask Brett, you know, it's, it's not always easy living in the tension of these kind of two worlds, you know, in this, the beauty that we have in the Sutherland Shire and in the context of working in war-torn and difficult countries. But I think the gift for me in this, and I think the hardest journey for me still is this idea that... Um, Victory for me was really in my Christian faith about controlling an outcome. You know, victory for me was around, oh, I just have to muster up all this faith. And I just, it's like, it was almost like I wanted to control everything that was happening in my most vulnerable moments of pain or suffering or that we walk through just as humans, you know, just in our humanity. And I think victory for them is in surrendering. Um, victory for them and what they celebrate is surrendering to the truth that God is love in the midst of all situations. And sometimes, you know, um, the outcome in our earthly capacity to be able to evaluate what is happening um, creates anxiety and sadness and suffering and that's reality for them too. They're not immune from that, some spiritually. Um, but their ongoing desire and posture before the Lord to surrender to the Lord has taught me a lot and still is teaching me a lot. I'm great when things are going really well, not so much when things touch the areas where I feel most frightened or touch areas in my life where I feel most vulnerable. That's when I want to just hold all the pieces and, you know, try my hardest to control all these moving parts. But I'm learning slowly as I get older um, this posture of surrender 
And I have to tell you, without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's almost impossible. Um, and I have also experienced incredible joy in the midst of suffering, in the persecuted church, in situations where it doesn't make sense. This sense of the power of God in our lives and his desire to show us his loving kindness in our most raw and vulnerable moments. I have story after story after story of God's goodness. So there is a paradox, and I'm still learning. Wow, victory is surrender. That's very powerful. Yeah, and really hard, but it is. You know, I think if we hold this message in the church, I'm beyond, you know, Kingsway, if we hold this message of surrendering to the truth of who God is, you know, God still works miracles. God still, you know, acts on our behalf. God still, but we have to surrender to the truth of who God is, to the character of God, to the, to the, to the truth of his word. And we have to practice that and surrender the outcome to him. Um, and I think, yeah, for me, that's a learnt. It's a daily surrender sometimes. When I'm in my most vulnerable or when stuff's happening or, you know, when there's uh, challenges that are ahead of us, it's a daily choice for me to surrender, to control my mind, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through my life, to be gracious and kind. And I don't always get it right, but... They've taught me a lot, um, and I've struggled with it a lot. It's cost, it's, it, it challenges you, you know, because you do see, you know, the persecuted church, is, the reality is, is that they're, they're victims of human rights abuse, right? So, you know, and the worst human rights abuses. So I'm always confronted with suffering, and yet I was always mindful of, that not taking away the beauty of joy and who God is, because that's not the truth. They may be a suffering church, but they are a joyful church, a joyful church full of laughter and love and community and serving and innovation and creativity, and they see breakthrough and Jesus appears and there's miracles and there's sadness and it's all of it. It's all part of it. So it's not just the... It's not just the, the, the horrific evils of the suffering they see. God is so much bigger than that. God is the impossible God, right? So the miracles far outweigh, I think, the journey of their suffering. Long answer, sorry, but there's a it's lot a good of... answer. There's like it's 25 a lot years worth We could probably stop, <laughs> but we're not going to because there's some other things I want to yeah. show you. We're going to show you a short video now. Um, and this is the story behind the song, A Holy Night. And when I saw this, did a little bit of Googling after we decided to go with this series, I was blown away. So take a look and then we'll just have a little bit of a chat about that. Hi, I'm Aaron Ivey from Austin Stone Worship. And this is the story behind the song, A Holy Night from the Austin Stone Christmas record called A Day of Glory. Uh, we love stories here at the Austin Stone and we love songs that are 
that come from a rich story and also have strong theology in them. And so I found this story to be really interesting. Uh, back in 1847, in a small French town, there was this local parish priest that hired a poet in the city uh, to write a poem for their Christmas celebration. And so the writer uh, used the book of Luke to tell the story of Christmas and then also kind of imagined himself as he was actually there, um, seeing the birth of Jesus and seeing all this stuff unfold. And then he had his friend uh, Adolphe Charles Adams, who was a local, um, very well-known classical musician. He asked him to take his poetry that he wrote and to actually put it into song, and, and so he did. The, the irony of this whole thing was that the writer, the lyricist for this poem, was not a churchgoer, and Adolphe was actually from Jewish ancestry, and so he actually didn't even believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, but they both finished the, the poem and the music and the song, and the church connected with it almost immediately. Um, so it's kind of interesting that you have both of these guys that weren't even involved in uh, the church, and one of them didn't even believe uh, that Jesus was the Son of God, and they wrote this amazing song together. Well, a few years later, all throughout France, uh, what started in this small town ended up spreading. The song blew up. Churches were loving the song. It was a song that was a very, very famous, well-known song for Christmas until the church suddenly found out that, um, that the lyricist and the actual musical writer both weren't a part of the church and weren't um, both believers. And so they denounced the song and they said uh, this song is banned from being used by the church. So 10 years later in America, a guy named John Sullivan Dwight, he introduced the song to America for the first time. Um, now in this time, slavery was a big part of American culture and Dwight was a, an abolitionist who was adamantly opposed to slavery. And so when he introduced this song, one of the reasons that he wanted to bring it to America and actually use it in church is because of the power behind verse three that says, change shall he break for the slave is our brother. And that's one of our favorite verses here for our church body too, is just celebrating not only that Jesus came, but he also destroyed the chains and bondage of slavery. And so this guy Dwight brought this song to America and it resonated uh, hugely, especially in, um, in the North during the Civil War. It wasn't until 1906 though, that this song really took off and blew up in America uh, when a guy named Mr. Fersanden, all right, who was the first guy that was ever broadcast on radio waves. He's the guy that figured out how to do it and his voice was actually the first uh, human voice spread out over radio waves. And in 1906, in this radio broadcast, he picked up a violin and he introduced the song, Oh Holy Night and played the song, Oh Holy Night, and sang it. And it was the first song ever broadcast over American radio waves. And now this song is not just a song that we use at Christmas time, but is a staple in, um, in, in what we use for worship in Christmas time and all throughout the year. I mean, we even use the song at the stone randomly in the middle of the year because the theology and the words and the lyrics are so powerful and so strong. It's one of our favorite Christmas songs. And um, whenever I found the story out about that song, stories always make the songs more meaningful. And so I hope that, hope that helps you as you uh, incorporate this song and know the story behind it. Isn't that cool? I was blown away by that. I don't know, Jen, how did it impact you hearing that story? I, I really want to meet this pastor that sought out a poet and um, in those days particularly. I think he must have had a really missional mindset. Tragically, 
um, I think the sad part about this story is the church <laughs> denouncing such a powerful song. Um, and also for me personally, you know, don't really want to be the blame game. I'm always, you know, inviting the Holy Spirit to sort of challenge me in the midst of this as a pastor. And I'm like, you know, it's like 2020 and if somebody outside the context of our community wrote a worship song for us, you know, would we play it? You know, it's like a challenge, like how gen inclusive are you? And uh, so I think it was challenging, you know. Sadly, that was the choice that the church made, but yeah, that was... Yeah, it just affirmed to me, like, God's life-giving is in all people. And that's just such a beautiful example of that. But I think for a long time, particularly in seasons of church history... If it didn't come from within our four walls or within our, you know, community of people, then it wasn't God-breathed. And that just limits God so much and his activity and presence in our world. He's active whether people recognise it's him or not. Our role is to draw their attention to the fact that he's involved. (laughs) Hey, you know that song you came up with? That was inspired. just reminds me of the God that I know and the... Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny because I wonder whether the church's decision really disrupted the work of the Holy Spirit in these people. You know, what a beautiful thing to uh, invite people into the mission of God. Yeah. And, yet the, and I also wonder whether the song itself really connected, if you look at the second part of that story, you know, with oppression and slavery. And, you know, there was a declaration. And I wonder whether there was something within this poet and this classical musician that was carrying the heartbeat of what was happening in the city, that they were seeing maybe what the, the church wasn't seeing mm-hmm. at that time. And so it had a prophetic voice in and of itself outside what was happening in the church because the church possibly was growing smaller mm-hmm. in their ability to navigate and to include. Yeah, it's interesting you say, you know, was the work of the Holy Spirit interrupted for sure but I love the ending that that song was the first one played over radio it's just like God prevails like his plans and his purposes no matter what detour no matter when we get in the way no matter you know like that that song still made such a significant impact of being the first one Mm. sung over the airwaves that's incredible yeah 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 absolutely yeah. So, does everyone just want to hear the song now? Are you all like, let's listen to it again. I'm going to get Brett and the friend to come up. We're going to take a quick pause so we can sit in this song. Um, and then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about hope. So, what Jess has brilliantly done for us is taken the chorus or the, or the you know, <laughs> I don't know my song lingo, the parts of the song, and we've married that with an Advent series that looks at the hope, peace, love and joy of Christmas. So after we um, sit in this song for a little bit, uh, then I'm going to come back and just share a few words about hope before we finish up. Father, we do just fall on our knees in our spirits this morning. What an incredible story of hope that we are ushered into as we just continue to share around hope this morning. I pray that you'd meet each one of us with the personal message of hope today. Amen.
Thank you, team. Beautiful. So this song tells the story of a world that was in such despair after such a long period of exile, desperately seeking God to show up and losing hope. There was 400 long, silent years between our Old Testament and our New Testament. And then God appeared. He showed up with skin on, in the flesh. He was with us, and his people were not alone, forgotten, or abandoned. I think, for me, that is the source of hope. I think at one point, as Jen mentioned, hope was wrapped up in outcome. If this happens, if that happens, I'm hoping or believing for this or that. But over the years, as I've experienced joys and heartaches, challenges, wrestles, things that like Adam spoke about last week that I just can't reconcile. Hope has instead become grounded in the fact that I know wherever I am, whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm wrestling with, I have a God who shows up in the middle of it. He doesn't leave me alone or abandoned or on my own to work it out. You know, this song, and especially that first verse, you know, it speaks of a God that not just comes to rescue, but of restoration. And it speaks of a soul that feels its worth, but also of a peace that's being ushered in, oppression ceasing, chains breaking, a new way. But, you know, it was 30 years between the night that Jesus was born to when we started to see, I guess, that plan being unfolded on the earth. So this song kind of speaks of a glimpse or a glimmer of hope that comes. And as I was sitting in this uh, in preparation, God reminded me of the story of Simeon and Anna in the temple. And I just wanted to quickly read it to you. I'm not going to expound it too much, but they were two people who were waiting for God to show up. And I thought it was interesting to reflect on their story. So Luke 2.25, in Jerusalem at the time, there was a man, Simeon, by name, a good man, a man who lived in prayerful expectancy of help. I thought that was a good definition of what it means to live with hope. He lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And the Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died. Led by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And as the parents of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God. God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you promised. With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. 
Have you ever had a moment like that? You know, maybe years after you've prayed about something or longed for something, and that moment where you go, God's shown up. It's now out in the open for everyone to see a God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and a glory for your people Israel, both and. I love this next bit. Jesus' father and mother were speechless with surprise at these words. I just love how they're like right in the centre of this story. Like the angel has come to Mary, told her that she's going to be like the mother of Jesus and she's still like, I don't really get it. What's going on? <laughs> really? That's going like, like, to... They still only grasped a glimpse. They still only understood. And they were right in the middle of it. It just makes me feel better about my lack of understanding <laughs> sometimes. Like, God, I don't get what you're doing. Like, Mary and Joseph didn't get it and they were there. Come on. Um, Simeon went on to bless them and said to Mary, his mother... This child marks both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel, a figure misunderstood and contradicted. The pain of a sword thrust through you, but the rejection will force honesty as God reveals who they really are. Anna the prophetess was also there, a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was by now a very old woman. She'd been married seven years and a widow for 84. She never left the temple area, worshipping night and day with her fasting and prayer. At the very time Simeon was praying, she showed up, broke into an anthem of praise to God and talked about the child to all who were waiting expectantly for the freeing of Jerusalem. Doesn't that speak to the mission of God? all the time, freedom, waiting expectantly for the freeing. And when they finished everything required by God in the law, they returned to Galilee and their own town, Nazareth. There the child grew strong in body and wise in spirit, and the grace of God was on him. Can you even imagine what this moment would have been like for Simeon and Anna? They'd been waiting and hoping for such a long time. For Simeon, it's a moment of release. I've seen the salvation of God. I can go now. I'm at peace. What I've been praying for, what I've been hoping for. But for Anna, it was a moment of prophetic declaration. Like she was over 100. It was like she was just getting started. Here we go. (laughs) It's happening. I love those two pictures. I came across Romans 8, 24 too, which says this. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? I think hoping involves a trust in the hidden presence and activity of God when all seems silent, over, gone and lost. There's a picture I wanted to show you of an orchid this. This orchid is over 50 years old. It's my nan's orchid. And when we um, moved into our new place, which we've been in just over two years with my mum, um, this orchid hadn't flowered for a while. And the whole two years that it's been in our house, it's not flowered. And mum said to me not that long ago, I think it's done. I think 
like there hasn't been any flowers, it's over 50 years old. We might get rid of it. And my mum's a really good green thumb, I know she'll be watching this morning, like if she can bring a plant back to life, it's her. So when she said that, I was like, all right. And then a few weeks later, look what happened. That's not like just one flower. <laughs> That's like... So sometimes things seem over, dead, gone. And then... Bloom, flowering, restoration. I wanted to end this morning by inviting you to think about an image of hope or a symbol of hope. When I did uh, some training to be a disaster recovery chaplain, which I haven't had the opportunity to do yet, but the very first thing we did in our training was we were challenged to think about a symbol of hope. Because when you walk into crisis situations, into despair and devastation, you need to be sure of what you're hanging on to. And when I was asked to do this exercise, the thing that was... Can I have the next slide, please? Um, that was meaningful for me was the sunrise. And I thought it was interesting that that first part of that song talks about a new and glorious morn. And for me, the sun, and I've got that verse up there, Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And for me, the sun is a symbol of the constant presence of God that rises every morning without fail. Even on cloudy, miserable days, the sun is still there when I can't see it. He's reliable and constant and his grace is new every day. And I just wanted to share my favourite movie moment of all time with you that speaks to this. It's a speech from Sam Wise in Lord of the Rings. And he says, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't, because they were holding on to something that there's some good in this world, Mr Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as they just sing again, I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to bring to your mind an image of hope. It might be, and you're very welcome to use the sun, 
that's a good one, I can testify. But it might be something completely different and meaningful for you. But an image or symbol, a scripture, a quote, it could be anything that the Holy Spirit and that God would want to encourage you with today. In your weariness and as we head towards Christmas. And you might also like to think about how Jesus might be inviting you to be that glimmer of hope in someone else's life that's feeling weary at this time of year. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.